Welcome to season four of the Fit Farming Food Mom podcast. Connie is a world champion powerlifter, former bodybuilder, and an elite trainer and nutrition coach. As a movement enthusiast and health nerd, she is here on this show to speak with educated guests and dive into the realm of all things health, fitness, mindset, and everything in between. If you enjoy this show, please do us a huge favor by smashing the like or subscribe button and leaving a review. Now, let's get to the show. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Fit Farm and Food Mom podcast. If you didn't notice, we had a little bit of a break for a few weeks, which was good. Uh, Sometimes breaks are needed, and I have a excellent episode about to play here with Michelle Shapiro, who is an integrative functional registered dietitian from New York who has helped over a thousand clients reverse their anxiety, resolve long-standing gut issues, and approach their weight lovingly. She is also the host of the Quiet the Diet podcast and just an amazing human in general, and we have an absolute fire conversation today about everything functional health, diets, where all of this begins. Should we be beginning with nutrition? Should we be beginning with extreme exercise? We talk about all of that in the episode today and you are in for a treat. So grab a pen and paper, definitely take some notes on this episode. Before we get started, I want to make sure that you are reminded of my favorite electrolyte drink element or LMNT. It is free of artificial sweeteners, and it is made with salt, which is amazing, sodium, potassium, and magnesium. Tastes great. Not going to give you a bunch of GI problems like some of those other sweeteners. Also doesn't have any added sugar. So really great to sip on throughout the day. Great craving killers. As of late, I've had a lot of clients, they come up to me and they're like, I'm feeling a little dizzy or a little shaky or I get headaches. Sometimes, guys, that's because you are low in electrolytes, especially salt. So uh, a lot of people end up deficient in salt when they start switching over to a more healthy diet because they're no longer eating a bunch of processed foods. So this can be a great way to tackle that. Give it a try. Pop on over to drink LMNT forward slash Connie. You get a free sample pack with any order. Gives you all the flavors to try. My personal favorites right now are grapefruit. That's out for a limited time. Hopefully it's not sold out as of me recording this. Um, Very good flavor. Watermelon's awesome. I love the chocolate. Some people are less excited about that one. I think it's great. It's great to make as a hot chocolate as well or add it to your morning coffee. So anyway, drinklmnt.com forward slash Connie. Check it out. It is truly my favorite product. All right, before rambling on much further, here is my episode with Michelle Shapiro. All right, Michelle, I'm super excited to have you joining me on the show. You have an excellent story, and we're going to share it with everyone and hopefully give them some direction in their health journey. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here, Connie. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I'll, I'll kind of kick us off with my personal story that leads into my professional story, which we know is the same for so many of us, like practitioners in all forms. So I grew up in Queens, New York in a super diverse, amazing neighborhood. I, um, I always say I was class clown in my high school. There were 5,000 students. Like it was just a very, um, every type of person you can ever imagine place, which is the best thing I think in the entire world. And I had always occupied a larger body when I was younger. And then going into college, I kind of realized I was going to the University of Delaware. It was going to be a much more homogenous experience. And I was like, people aren't going to judge me for being in a larger body. So I kind of wanted to do something about it. So I went on a really rapid and quite dangerous weight loss journey where I lost like close to 100 pounds in a three-month period of time. And went into college and was feeling, um, I guess, from the societal aspect, a lot better because people treat you totally differently when you're in a a smaller body. And then from a health perspective, my health was deteriorating Um, and doctors really could not figure out why they were like, "Um, this is great that you just lost weight. Why are you having panic attacks? Why do you have thyroid dysfunction? Why is all this happening? It doesn't make any sense. And I just felt worse and worse as college progressed, but was able to basically 
keep my weight off, but then my journey to kind of get my health back is really what led me to become a functional registered dietitian. Um, and I use the assistance of functional medicine, naturopathic medicine to get myself back to a place of health after that weight loss. So my goal is for my clients to not have to lose weight the wrong way so that they don't have to repair for 10 years after, um, as long as it takes, um, and has, and really took me to feel better. Well, so that's a great goal, right? And we love to see that, but sometimes that's not the case. And I'm sure you're getting a lot of clients that come to you and they have a history of yo-yo dieting or extreme dieting, and that can be really hard to repair sometimes. It really can be from not only a psychological perspective, but a physical perspective too, because our body anticipates how much it's going to get. So if your body's anticipating, it's not going to get the right nutrients from you will be in a state of storage. So it makes weight re-loss even harder. I think it's actually much harder for people to lose weight a second time than it is for the first time because your body kind of knows the jig is up by the second time. Mm -hmm. I work with a lot of bodybuilders and I find that's a big case with them because they go through a couple of preps and it's smooth sailing. And then next thing you know, the next prep is a little bit harder and the next one's a little bit harder. And it's like, oh, the body's like, yeah, we're doing this again. Nah, nope. And it's exactly. just hits the veto button on all of it. 100%. Have you, this is so interesting that you work with bodybuilders and I know this about you and I think it's completely fascinating. Mm -hmm. Have you found over the years of you working with bodybuilders that it's like a different landscape now because people are, again, have now been through so many rounds of it. The food system's a little different. Like what have you seen in your time? I'm interested to know too. Well, so this is, it's a super, super awkward space right now, actually. So there are some really amazing coaches out there right now that are blending functional health with bodybuilding. Now, of course, bodybuilding is always going to be unhealthy. There's not a dang thing you can do about that. It's an but aesthetic competition. It's part of, yeah, right. exactly. You have to do sac make sacrifices. It's like, part of it. Yeah. It's bad, but they're like, Hey, this is bad. So here, let's do the best we can to make it less the bad. badness. Like there's like, <laughs> there's a good, better, best scenario in that. Right. Yeah. And so there are a lot of really great coaches out there that are, doing incredible things. They're eyeballing labs there. And I mean, honestly, if you want to get into it a little further, like there's some things that might be frowned upon in the functional health space, but like there are some of these coaches are like, Hey, you're struggling. Your thyroid needs help at this time. We'll work our way back out of it. They're not abusing thyroid meds to lose weight. They're using it because your body is struggling and it's not your yes. low body fat. And they're like, listen, you know, let's get you going on this. And they're watching gut health and they're watching labs and they're doing That's all awesome. the things to mitigate as much issues as Up possible. And, yeah. um, you know, there's a, so there's a lot of great people in the space now that are realizing all of this stuff and they're putting incredible products on the stage and reversing people and, and, um, making sure that their clients don't have a lot of long-term damage. Now there's still all the bros out there though, that will argue with you all day long about what they calories can Calories in, calories out is the only thing that matters. And <laughs> yeah. don't worry about the, the organ health, nothing like that. It's just calories. No, all day. Hours yeah. of cardio. They have no, they don't ever ask for labs. So they have no idea what's going on. It's like, oh, you're not losing weight. Here's another hour of cardio. Here's less food. Here's less carbs, you know? So cut, cut, cut. That's it. It's, yeah. you know, the bodybuilding industry is pretty insane. Whereas people are just like butting heads nonstop. And um, honestly, it's a, it's something that I would like to move away from yeah. because I just can't watch what's going on. But on the other side of it, I'm like, okay, well, one more person that I take care of probably one, one less person that's like uh, one more ally within that's going to actually look to preserve someone's total health and mm -hmm. mental state, I think is a, a better thing. Sorry. You're going to have to sacrifice yourself and stay in it. Sorry to tell you. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of where uh, I get a little on the fence about some of that stuff. Cause that stuff's hard mentally, physically, like once you see your body in that kind of shape, it's real hard to come back from it. And that actually happens to be the hardest part of my job is these people see themselves shredded. And then they, with social media and stuff, they get these, they feel like they're letting people down if they don't look that way. Right. Which oh is normal, gosh. you know, yeah. and they yeah. feel like some of these people are trainers, they're, they're coaches themselves. Like, you know, and they're like, oh, if I look normal, it's fat to them because they've seen themselves shredded and the outside world doesn't understand that. So it becomes this That's crazy. That's all people see is that outside. Right. And it's, you know, it's, this used to be a big thing with dietitians too, that like, it used to be like, I, there was this phrase and I like, I hate the sentence, but I'm going to say it cause it's real is that people say, I'd, I would never see a fat dietitian. People would say that all the time. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, I, I don't feel 
that way um, at all. I feel like what people look like does not represent their knowledge set and doesn't mm-hmm. represent their experience. And now that we're like, if I saw a bodybuilder who had like been at peak, whatever physical, what, you know, aesthetics that they wanted to be at and then wasn't, I would, I mean, this is just me, but I would be curious to know like what the story was and possibly like, it's actually usually a sign of great health once they've recovered mm-hmm. a lot of those hormones and recovered a lot of those things. So it's, mm-hmm. it's hard because it's a, like you're saying, it's such a narrow minded, this is correct way of thinking. When in reality, we know you're going below the point of where body fat, body fat is even safe for female hormone production. Like you're going way into that range usually where it's just not healthy to sustain that all the time. Um, mm-hmm. for most people, some people might do well, but for most not so much. Well, and I kind of had that scenario myself, which is what triggered some of the bodybuilding end of it, right? Was I was like, okay, well, uh, there are dozens of coaches doing this to women, especially men are a little more resilient to women, especially. And uh, I was one of them, right? But I was smart. Like I was like, okay, body, I've been an asshole. I get it. I'm going to let you do whatever you got to do. Yeah. I'm going to let you do whatever you got to do to sort your shit out here. But this is you know, and it was a hard thing to do. Right. Cause I gained a lot of weight, 55 pounds. And it was like, Ooh, yikes. And I thought, you know, people are like, Oh, you're a coach and personal trainer. Like, I mean, I had those thoughts too, but it was like, Nope, I will not revert back to dieting. And I will not revert back to cardio. And I will let all of this line out because you can't, if you're riding that roller coaster and this is for gen pop people too, if you're riding that roller coaster nonstop, you're looking for big trouble. A hundred percent. And I think Again, we have to understand, you know, bodybuilding is miraculous in the way that people do look as good or better the second or third time around, but we also have to really understand the costs associated with it. Um, and that comes in in many different ways. And the, some of those costs are short-term, some of them are permanent for people. And, you know, I always say like for myself, like I lost a hundred pounds, someone who loses a hundred pounds is not going to have the same body as someone who grew up being thin forever. Like, you know, I, I don't have the same, you lose a lot of muscle in that process too. Like you have a lot of rebuilding to do. And the point that you get to and start from is very different than other people. So honoring where you not only are now, but honoring where you have been is just a really important part of any health journey or like just personal growth journey. Honestly, it's just like your body is so your meaning anyone who's listening body is so different than everyone else's. And, and your body shows the spiritual parts of your life. It shows like, it shows your, your battle wounds on, on you too. So you, just wear them as proudly as possible. Um, and at the same time, you could still do things to work on your health in every way. Mm-hmm. Well, and then let's get back to your story a little. So you did yeah. lose the weight, which congratulations. That's pretty amazing. How many oh, people don't yeah. do that? Right. Sure. But you had some metabolic ramifications from that. When did you start to discover that that's what had happened? And then how, what was your remedy for that? Yeah. Because we have to picture this is like 15 years ago, right? So there was no person 15 years ago who was like, weight loss might cause metabolic damage. That was not the conversation. The conversation was like, great job losing weight. Keep being losing weight forever. Like that's what you need to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So at the time I actually started developing like really severe panic attacks and I had never had panic attacks before I started developing like really cold hands and extremities, severe acid reflux and gut issues. I was also on a vegan diet during the time I lost weight. Um, and for about 10 years, I was on a vegan diet. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that. (laughs) Um, Ooh, we could talk about that. And I had all these symptoms and I remember saying this was like a really weird moment in my life, but I was coming back from school. I was coming back from home during winter break back, back to school. And I was in the car with my aunt. And this was like my moment. I had like a moment and she was talking about how my cousin had gone to Israel for birthright. And she was like, you know, you have to go to birthright. And I was sitting in the back of the car and the the car ride from New York to Delaware, because I'm from New York city. It was like two and a half hours, three hours. And the whole time I was just thinking, how am I not going to throw up from anxiety in this car ride? That's all I could think about. I was like, how am I not going to throw up? How am I not going to throw up? Don't throw up in front of your aunt. And my aunt is going to me like, you got to go to Israel. I'm like, I can't get on an airplane right now. I'm having a panic attack. I was like, I'm trying to make it the next five minutes. And we were all joking about it. But in that moment, I realized I'm like, when did I become the person who can't go to Israel? When did I become the person who can't get on an airplane? And then I started to think like, you know, when did anxiety become my thing? 
Like that's not my thing. It's never been my thing before. And then I started to think, when did this really start? And I started to build that timeline for myself. And then what I did is I made what I like to call like a battle plan, which is I basically broke up every single way I could possibly defeat anxiety and every single possible root cause for why that was happening. And it came to supplement, nutrition, hydration, supplementation of any kind, herbs, meditation. And I just started hammering away at it. And what had to change for me was the idea that anxiety was something that spontaneously came and was going to be with me forever because doctors just said, you have an anxiety disorder now. I'm like, it just came overnight and now I'm done for life. That's it. I'm not the type of person who accepts things like that. And that's what really started to turn the train around for me. And that's when I started to realize, holy crap, maybe the fact that I was starving myself for the past year scared my body a bit. And I really think of anxiety as being a very sacred messenger from our body trying to tell us something is wrong, something is wrong. And this is one of the only ways that our body knows how to communicate something quickly to us. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I think, when my ship started to turn around and then ultimately ended up seeking the help of a naturopathic physician. But it took me saying like, is anxiety my thing? Like, mm -hmm. that's not my thing. And I don't want it to be my thing um, for, for things to really turn around for me. So we could dive into this a little bit because how many people come to you and they let that diagnosis be the parking brake on their success, whether it be an autoimmune condition, anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, you know, hormone stuff like they they're just like they they tell themselves that they're like, oh, I have depression. I'm depressed. I need a medication. Boom. And they reinforce this behavior, I feel, through their mental awareness of now they have this and it becomes a parking brake. You are 100 percent correct. And anxiety and depression are specifically challenging because they are much more invisible, I think. And so when we start to understand what these things are, we also start to identify with them because we feel safer in knowing that we're not alone in this, I think. But I agree there's a back end of that identification that can be really rough because our kind of Western model of seeing patients is we believe in diagnoses. And it's there, there's a good reason for that because there's you can actually create a lot more like directed studies and pharmaceuticals if you can classify things in a specific way, mm -hmm. but I'm, you know, an integrative functional practitioner. And we always want to know what is the real reason this is happening. And I think a lot of people who are having debilitating anxiety. And when I say debilitating, I mean like not leave your house, like serious panic attacks. They, you feel like you're going to die when you have a panic attack. It's really horrible. Like it's really, truly horrible, but thinking this is going to be forever and really believing these are conditions that are permanent is absolutely an added debilitation for people. And I agree with you that um, people don't see their way out of it because we haven't learned in America that it's possible to see your way out of anxiety or depression. We actually just think it's, you take a medication to what, what I call manage um, mm -hmm. those symptoms or cope with those symptoms uh, without exploring what what's really going on um, mm -hmm. instead of just this like chemical deficiency um, theory of mm -hmm. mental health. Well, and that's a real interesting thing. And I, I mean, I kind of suck at mo social media these days. I just was like, I'm done playing this game. I'll just post whatever I want. But, um, I mean, really, this is a huge thing. And I've talked about it in the past. Like you, yeah, you even get into hormonal things going on. Like they're like, mm -hmm. oh, you have depression or anxiety. They're not looking like, okay, well, a lot of these hormones, like a lot of our reproductive hormones are also involved in the production of serotonin and dopamine and all these things. And if you've totally tanked those with extreme dieting, stress, you name it, you know, environmental talk exposures, whatever, um, you know, you're going to have depression and anxiety. And it's not just something that magically happens. You're 100% right. By the time you start seeing anxiety, there's been some sort of a lifestyle deficiency, nutrient deficiency, spiritual deficiency for quite a while. And we have to start thinking of anxiety as a symptom and not as a disease. It is a symptom of something that's going on. I think of anxiety almost like a fire alarm in your house. Like if you had a fire in your house, what do we want to do with anxiety? Shut it off. We're like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. Shut the fire alarm off. Not going to help us if there's a fire in the house. Mm -hmm. What we actually want to do is use anxiety as wisdom and use it and say, what can I learn from what my body's trying to communicate with me? And that's my first tip I would give for people with anxiety. Just let it talk to you, like sit in the discomfort of it for a little bit. Let it just communicate with you. <sighs> Take a deep breath, sit in it and accept and acknowledge thoughts as they come up. That's my first thing I tell people, because what we want to do again, when we hear any sort of anxiety or any sort of depression or anything like that is we just go get away, go away. And mm -hmm. then we lose that opportunity to explore more.
And, mm-hmm. and by the way, what you said about hormones is so dead on. I mean, something like a B12 deficiency could cause like permanent anxiety, like if you do not correct it. So we can't really like, you know, talk therapy is insanely effective and amazing and a huge tool. But if you, if a vitamin B12 deficiency is what's causing anxiety, you can't really talk your way out of it because your body still needs to tell you that you need that B12. All right. So talking about B12 and nutrient things, you did mention that you also had gone vegan. Mm, so that didn't help my B12, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so maybe this is a great opportunity to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so I did a vegan diet because I'm the type of person who has a very a brain that's organized better by black and white things. So some people's brains just work better like that. I'm a, the type of person where I'm like, tell me what the rules of the game are and I will play the game and I'll play the game hard all the way to the end. So for me, a vegan diet, like you're like, I know you're so, you're so <laughs> hardcore. Like I am, I'm like, and I, I say like my hardcoreness really fueled my disordered eating because I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to eat 300 calories a day. And like, just go like, Oh, less is better. Okay. Without any, I was 17 years old. Also, like I had no regard for what that the consequences were at the time. I really, really don't recommend it now, please. Everyone I'm telling you, I really don't recommend doing what I did, but I did a vegan diet primarily because first of all, my sister was doing it. And I was like, I can do it for longer than you just again, sport for me, competition. And then also because I was like, I understand the rules of this game. Great. You're telling me not to eat any animal products. I'm just not going to do it. Back then also vegan diets were regarded as extremely healthy. I was in school to be a dietitian, extremely healthy. Yes, they recommended some supplementations, but it was regarded as the healthiest diet. Where I land now, I definitely would say, um, it. I feel it is impossible to get every nutrient you need on a vegan diet. It is impossible without supplementation. It is possible with supplementation, but it's just so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other consequences I feel too. So, um, I'll tell you very interestingly that I have two friends who work with fertility and women specifically, and both of them will not accept vegans in their practice. People who eat a vegan diet, not an identity, just a a style of eating Mm -hmm. because they feel it is so damaging to your hormones that they can't help them if they are eating a vegan diet. So it's funny because again, we always think, Oh, what would be like so healthy is like eating vegetables for fertility and all these things. But it's not, these aren't nutrient dense foods from a macro or micro perspective in many ways. So Mm -hmm. I do not recommend vegan diets anymore. Although I honor if my clients, you know, choose to not eat animals, we'll find a way we'll make it work Mm -hmm. basically. Um, but now eat a lot of meat as a result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have one vegan client, but now finally we're eating fish and yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Thank God. I'm like, yes, complete amino acids. Here we go. (laughs) You know, like, uh, so we're getting it makes, there. It makes your journey together easier too mm-hmm. and safer. Yeah. I mean, for yeah. sure. And that's the hard part as a coach. You want to be able to help and honor people's um, thoughts and ideals. Man, mm-hmm. Yeah. But on the other side of it, like it's your job to help them as well. So sometimes that involves some give and take. So um, sure does. that can yeah. be really hard. But talking about the f- fertility thing, that's just another thing. Like, I don't know about you, but how many clients do you see that- they're going to go and get fertility treatments and hormones and do all these crazy things when nobody's ever even checked their thyroid or the prop, like they're not looking at the big picture, right? Like all, I mean, maybe they'll check T4, but then T3 is like totally nothing. And then they're like, Oh, I can't get pregnant. Well, they're not converting. Yeah. Yeah. And I see a ton of stuff like this that if you could just get that per like, or create like fasting insulin sitting in the sixties or a hundreds and, you know, just crazy, crazy things. And it's like, if you just tacked these little things that are going to help you have a much healthier pregnancy anyways, instead of forcing it and paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, you would actually get the foundations first. You got to get the foundations down first. No, you're absolutely right. And the thyroid is such an interesting, like, connector of all these things in our body, our thyroid gland and our thyroid hormones are so interconnected with the brain. And I really think of our thyroid as being like the pacemaker for energy in our body. So if your body anticipates, it's not getting the energy it needs, that's not a recipe for growth. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I commend a lot of Western medicine doctors is, is they understand how important thyroid health is during pregnancy. I mean, it is essential Mm -hmm. where they actually, it is the one place where I feel that thyroid is measured a little bit more meticulously, at least it's only really TSH that they measure, but, um, you know, it's, it's not the full picture, but it is essential Mm -hmm. that our body's in a state of building 
when we're, you know, growing humans. Um, I think that's like essential. So anything that feels super depleting is not going to be equivocal or supportive for fertility. Absolutely. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I see a lot of people that it's funny. I've worked with two or three ladies now where we got their lab work sorted out and then they were pregnant and it was like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't have to go through all of this stuff. Like I could actually just get healthy. And then my body was telling me something again, you have to listen to your body. hundred percent. Yeah. And do you see also like kind of the same game with fitness where it's like people are pounding themselves down with cardio and like doing all of these things that are so like burning. Yeah. I'm sure you see this yeah. all the time in your fitness it's work. So hard to yeah. help people understand, especially with fitness and females, sometimes less is much more like people think, Oh, they're like, like I personally train three days a week, right? I don't go above and beyond that. But you see these women like try my 30 minute hit workout and try this. And and then you also have to think, I feel women actually run in a much higher stress level than most males because of mo- the mom factor, right? Like, yep. I mean, it's the preservation of human mm-hmm. life thing. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's I mean, we are naturally, even if you don't have children, we are meant to be taking care of someone in some way. I know that sounds funny, um, but so. it we so we have this kind of like nurturing instinct, which drives us to maybe not nurture people, but to be getting things done. And sometimes that getting things done really, really bites us in the butt. Absolutely. And I. I mean, I can just justify what you're saying and validate what you're saying with the scientific end of it too, which is that women are more prone to elevated cortisol, especially the elevated cortisol cycle. So not just like random times of cortisol being high, but overall we are, I think, beings that are more responsive to stress. Also, I think that um, our capacity to like store fat is more because again, of that fertility piece of things, it's like more essential than for men to store fat. Mm -hmm. Um, because we, again, if your body fat is too low, it becomes if if in some cases, in some cases impossible to conceive for people. I know this is something you must see in bodybuilding is women losing their periods, like early on, even into a cutting or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, it's, it's, a our bodies are extremely responsive to stress and are constantly assessing for threats in our environment. Um, it is, it is a total mama bear, um, scientific justification. You're, you're absolutely right. Yes, it's Mm -hmm. true. Well, and the funny story about it is, so I have a client right now that's, um, she's in, she actually next week will be peak week for her. And, uh, I said, okay, we're going to flip your food around. We're going to do some, some things. I'm actually experimenting on her. I told her that, um, she's your guinea pig. (laughs) She's my total guinea pig. I talked to another couple coaches about my plan and they're like, what? That makes total sense to me. I would totally do it. So rocket. Anyway, I was like, well, he, one of my friends, he's like, this is why you're a coach. Cause you're thinking outside the box. Um, anyway, this lady, cool. she, she, she goes, I'm not, I said, well, we're cutting cardio. We're going to, you know, I try not to do crazy cardio anyway, but I was like, we're going to go for 30 minute walks and we're, I'm flipping things to more carbohydrate dominant, which a lot of coaches would be like, no, not at the end stages. But I'm like, listen, carbohydrates are great for suppressing cortisol. You're stressed. You've been dieting. You're, you've been doing some extra cardio. Like your system is like, Oh no, check engine lights on here. So I was like, well, you're under stress. This was the way I didn't get into that, but I was like, you're under stress. So my goal to combat that and get you to drop the last couple little bits of fat that we need to get rid of is going to be to reduce stress by reducing cardio and adding more carbs and yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes, well, I'm not stressed. (laughs) And I was like, like, well, you know, but your body and your brain do not perceive stress differently. So if you have a mental stressor or a physical stressor, it's all the same. So for her, even if she didn't acknowledge mental stress, she can see her body was under physical stress and physical mm -hmm. stress and mental stress are the same. It's the same bucket. You only have a certain amount that you can fill up basically. Yes. And I use the bucket analogy for everything. Lots of clients because I'm like, okay, well, even that perfume you're spraying on yourself in the morning is a stressor and it fills that bucket. I said, so you start adding perfumes, you start adding cardio, life stress, job, exercise, all these things. Your body doesn't know the difference. Pretty soon the bucket's overflowing. We have like the most intricate and brilliant bodies in the entire world, but we 
definitely cannot distinguish between those things. Our body's like, did you say emergency? We spray the perfume. Huh? Was that an emergency? You said, let me release some of that cortisol. <laughs> let's, let's start to get this process of preservation going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our bodies are very trigger happy. And what we don't realize from an evolutionary biological perspective is that us sitting in traffic can be just as stressful as us running from a bear. And your body literally doesn't know, am I starving? Am I running from a bear? What's going on? And certainly if you're doing excess cardio, we know cardio pushes that cortisol up and cortisol also can lead to fluid retention. So Mm -hmm. they're probably not going to feel that good on show day too. Mm -hmm. Although it is possible and we can definitely acknowledge this to feel amazing on show day and look good while feeling extremely stressed. I'm sure many bodybuilders would say, I looked the best when I felt the worst, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's cases for that too, but you are putting your client's whole person first too. I think that's amazing, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, so back to the fitness thing though, the people don't think about it this way, but it is lucrative for people to be selling you their six day programs. And they think the more complicated and fancy that it looks, the better it's going to do. So how many times have I seen people look at one of my programs? They're like, what, three days a week. That's not enough, you know? And it that they're like but they'll spend double on so and so 20 year old never had kids is six day a week 30 minute cardio hit after heavy lifting because it's glamorous and fancy and they think they need it right so fitness is very flawed in the fact that it's lucrative to make it look complicated when in fact the less complicated it is the better you can recover and the more you can manage stress the more successful you're going to be it's just, it, it always comes down to the foundations. And what I think we don't realize, and I call it like the acts of being a human, like we are not outside in nature. We are behind our phones all the time. We're not connecting with people. We're not sleeping. We're not eating regularly. We're not drinking water. Like all the things that make us human beings, we are so deeply, deeply disconnected from. And that is really the most bang for our buck with our health. Listen, I'm a functional dietitian. Like I have access to all the fun, Mm -hmm. fancy tests, all the fun, fancy supplements. And I still find myself after seeing a thousand clients coming back to the essentials of being human as my first line of defense with every single client, because I can guarantee you if someone is sick with some sort of autoimmune condition is sick with some sort of gut condition, there is some, there is a misalignment in their environment and their bodies that has to be addressed before you start throwing on NAC or whatever fun supplements, Mm -hmm. you know, which they're fun too. I love supplements, but um, there's a time and a place. Well, so let's dive into that a little bit. So sometimes people think they need the shiny object to get them where they need to go and helping educate them in the basics and nailing those down can be some of the hardest parts of somebody's journey. Yeah. Cause that's the work, right? Like that's the actual, I love that you're saying that that's the actual hard part. It's very easy to take a supplement. I don't know. Some of my clients and myself, we struggle sometimes, but it's very easy to take a supplement compared to taking a hard look at what's going on in your life every single day to look at the relationships you have and the boundaries you're setting and the time you're going to bed. Those are the much harder things. There is no replacement for those things though, unfortunately, but I totally agree with you that it is much harder to nail the foundations down, which is why by the time people come to me, you know, they've probably gone to a bunch of doctors and dietitians already. I'm kind of like that last stop where they're like, I've kind of done everything at this point. Like we got to do something different. And they're always frustrated when I'm saying, can you just like drink water? Like, can we just like do those things? Um, because if you're not consistent with someone and addressing those things consistently, um, it's, you're, you're not going to get to the finish line of whatever your health goal is. So how do you address that with people? Because it can be one of the most difficult steps. Yeah. I, so when I have people come in for their initial consultation, I'm actually doing a lot of detective work in that session. So I might be looking at someone and like, you know, we'll talk about while they're eating and I might look at their, like, how their body's reacting to me, ask about certain foods. Like I might be looking at their body language. I might be looking at their posture. I might be looking at these things, the most minute of details to get a better understanding of what's going on with them. And then I just constantly, Connie, I'm constantly asking for consent in my sessions. So if, you know, for one person going on a keto diet might be really amazing. You know, I don't know too many people, but some people it might be amazing for. Um, And then for someone else, eating a high carb diet might be really amazing. There's really the, that timing. And I think with everyone, the difference between what's going to work for someone and what isn't is going to come down to the physical cues I'm getting, but also the mental. So if I say to someone who's sitting in front of me, who let's say, you know, my clients often have very severe anxiety and gut issues. That's some very common in the work that I do. If they're saying to me, Michelle, I'm having like a horrible, like I'm having, let's say I'm, I'm vomiting five times a day. Like that 
happens often from reflux or something like that with my clients. I'm going to basically be analyzing and understanding what's the highest priority thing that's going on with them and what's going to give us the most bang for our buck with the least amount of input. So mm -hmm. I don't do things that are hard for fun with clients when they're already struggling. Like sometimes mm -hmm. we test our resilience in life and it's really important. And then when you're struggling, you need things to be easy and direct. Mm -hmm. So I would say, how would you feel if we just ate and drank at separate times, because if they're having reflux or something that can be helpful, how mm -hmm. would that feel? And then I'm going to get feedback from them saying, I don't know. Oh, I, I get dry mouth when I'm eating. I couldn't be that. Okay, great. How would it feel if we did this? So I'll pitch things and really I'm gauging their reaction to see how they would feel with different interventions. Like, like when I say the word gluten, how do you feel when I say the word gluten? And they're like, oh no, I can't cut out. I can't cut out gluten. I can't cut, I'm Italian. I can't cut out gluten. Okay. 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 I'm not touching that yet. I'm not touching that. You know, and that's really what I'm going to find out is what their body feeds off of. And sometimes when they're having a really strong response to something, it means we want to look deeper. Um, so my answer is it goes totally different for each person, but it's a feedback and a bi-directional relationship between me and the client to see what's working with them, how they're feeling. And if I pitch a recommendation, I need to make sure they're okay with it. Mm -hmm. I like this because I find that that's one of the most, how to, to work with people is to not give them extra stress, but also make, make strides is really huge. And I find so many people in the functional space, especially, and they're like some of the most guilty ones at this point. Right. Um, they literally will have a client or a patient sit down in their chair and they will tell them, okay, well you have mold toxicity and you have this and you have that and blah, 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 blah. Thank and you, you have saying this and you have to eliminate coffee because it's moldy and it's got pesticides and you have to eliminate that and you got to do that and you can't go in this room and you can't like, and they're just eliciting this crazy fear response. It's only going to completely completely magnify whatever is going on within this person's body and You're making me clench my jaw by the way <laughs> <laughs> I mean well it happens and not like it happened to me frequently yeah. like this lady got this diagnosis and she was like I don't even she's like I, I where do I find coffee that I can have because I can't not have coffee and where can I do this and what can I do and I said well hold on a minute I said do the best you can it does not have to be perfect. Like it's all of the little things that drain our bucket and make it so we're able to manage things that we do on a daily basis. So for example, last night I was in a hurry myself and I was like, sweet, I'm gonna, and I wanted a coffee. I was like, well, cool. I'm going to go to Starbucks. They don't have the best coffee Starbies. out there. You know, I went to Starbucks. I got myself some egg bites, 19 grams of protein. That's what I cared about. Got myself a coffee. Was it perfect? No, but on my daily actions, I do the best I can every day. That keeps my bucket relatively empty. So if I want to throw some things in there, or I mean, even have a drink of alcohol, which I don't do, but just some examples or spray some perfume all over some myself, to, you know, to smell nice and feel nice. Listen, yeah, I, I'm literally saying, listen to me, Connie. <laughs> Nailed something so much that he made me clench my jaw. <laughs> I, if you go to a practitioner and they hand you a protocol and do not explore with you what's going to work for you, that's not functional medicine at all. That's called allopathic medicine. That's mm -hmm. called conventional medicine. We in functional medicine do not believe that the body is broken and that supplements are a fix for something that's going on. We believe that we integrate those into the condition that the body is in already and at the root cause. So if you get a mold piece of paper that says, don't eat these foods because they're moldy. That has nothing to do with functional medicine. That is not functional at all. That is not root cause. That is not integrative. That is not holistic. That is allopathic medicine. That is the same thing as conventional medicine. It's the same thing as if you go to a doctor and they tell you to take, if you have IBS and they tell you to take a laxative, same mm -hmm. exact thing. There's nothing different about it. Just because they're talking about mold and these conditions that are newish in our heads does not at all mean that it is functional. So for sure, I could not agree with you more. And I, I call it junk functional. That's like mm -hmm. junk functional. That is not real functional medicine. So sitting with someone in the root cause of these things and at the heart of functional nutrition is that the root cause of these things is foundational. Mm -hmm. By the time, again, you have a Hashimoto's diagnosis, you've had some foundational stuff going on that needed correcting for maybe 20 years, mm -hmm. right? These things do not happen spontaneously. And by the time you're seeing them in a doctor's office, there's a lot that needs to be corrected underneath. And I also like that you're saying, listen, it's not about being perfect in any way at all. And it's truly not. Like if you're able to move the needle even 10% and you're in a place of chronic illness, I don't think people understand people who are chronically ill are freaking exhausted. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like the, all my clients are chronically ill. Like that's, that's my people. Mm -hmm. Like 
the last thing they need is to add more things on top of their decision fatigue. So I actually will tell you one thing I do with every single one of my clients now is I make a schedule. I will not recommend one supplement. I will not recommend lemon water if I do not put it on that schedule for them. Because I say the one relief I can give my clients is I will do the thinking for them Mm -hmm. because they're at a point where they're like, let me, I don't want them to hand me their power, but I want them to hand me their burden in enough of a way where I can organize it for them. I'm like, my brain's fresh. I'm ready to rock. I'm not the one in it. Let me do this for you. So I think that's so important is not just saying, here's a random protocol, random piece of paper. If I say you need to do something, I will tell you exactly how to do it without you having to think about it. Cause mm-hmm. that's, what's going to make the difference between someone doing something or not. And I know you must experience this too. My clients always like come to me and they'll say like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't, you know, when they first come, they're like, I was nervous to tell you about what I ate. I'm like, why? I don't care about what you eat. Like, you know, I care about what you eat, like to help you, but I'm not going to judge you for what you're eating. Like I'm, I'm trying to get you from point A to point B. I'm not, I'm not going to, that's me understanding why it's not, why something's not working for you. That's the most I'm going to get from it is, Oh, great. You weren't able to do that. Why exactly were you able to do that? Exactly. And that's a coach. That's what a coach does. Mm-hmm. Oh, so gotcha. this, we could jump down this forever, but like, um, so here's an example. I have this new great client. She's crushing things, right? Um, Yay. like, uh, but I'm an analyzer and I think that's what makes us good at the jobs that we, we do is we analyze all these things and, uh, we lay in bed in the night at night or take showers and we're like, wait, I should try this. Um, but anyway, 100%. she put in her check-in form. She was like, I'm feeling like I haven't had done. I'm feeling what was the word she used? Um, like I haven't been able to be social because of the kind of nutrition plan that I'm doing, which it's pretty flexible nutrition plan, but she was afraid to go eat out. And I said- Which wasn't in the plan, but it was something that she felt herself. I got that. She made it up. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so why are you afraid to go out? She's she's like, well, because I don't know what I'm going to eat and I don't know what I'm going to do and I don't know what's in it. And I said, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, hold on. I said, none of that stuff matters. I said, where's your favorite places to eat? Where are your go-tos when you go out with your friends? And we looked them up on the internet. And I said, okay, let's figure out a good, better, best scenario on the menu, right? Like Beautiful. there's plenty of things that you can go do. There Are they going to be perfect? No. Do they have to be? No. But again, it's keeping the bucket as little as, exactly. you know, and I'm, even I said, the stress of her going was bringing the bucket up for her. Like yeah. that's, and that's so unnecessary. You're like, let's make this so easy. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's this is nothing. And yeah. I was like, whoa, look. So we went and we looked at these menus of her three favorite places. And we were like, oh, cool. Look at this is totally, this would be great. This is high in protein, which I tell people to prioritize. I'm like, this is high in protein. Looks like it doesn't have a lot of garbage in it. Like, you know, this would be great. Do Beautiful. this, do that. And she was like, oh, that looks really good. Oh, this looks, okay. So you know, she, then it was like, Oh, I'm happy for her. I can go. This is easy. I can handle doing stuff. I said, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's called go somewhere and find something you can enjoy. That's better. There are plenty of things that you can still enjoy that are better than other things. Right. So, um, I think you, what a true coach does is like always mm -hmm. lets the client come up with those answers themselves, but you're creating a safe enough space and a, and a structure for them to be able to think about things. Mm-hmm. Because what I think is missed in a lot of these conversations is the fact that if again, your client hadn't gone out to dinner as a result, now we have, we're adding to our stress bucket in two ways. We're isolating ourselves. We're not enjoying our lives. And then we're also just having these constant thoughts about these things. So we often just need to also just shut it down and say, let's mm-hmm. just make a quick decision. That decision fatigue, when you have chronic illness mm-hmm. becomes so extreme because we're constantly calculating risk when mm-hmm. we have chronic illness of any kind. If someone has a gut issue, they're like, okay, I can't eat something that's not low FODMAP. I can't eat something too high in protein. Cause it'll hurt like my stomach versus my small intestine. Like the amount of things that people, is there garlic in this? There are the amount of things that people have to think about is so high already. So actually what a coach can do is make, like you said, just a couple decisions Mm -hmm. and say, lay them out and then let people decide can help with that decision fatigue piece so much for people. Well, and I find decision fatigue and things like of that nature and dieting and all these things, they build over time. 
So yes, if you're not catching these things with your clients or, or if you're just a person that doesn't have a coach and you can't seem to differentiate on some of these things and you're kind of trying to go it on your own, it gets worse and worse. And the more you, the more and more tied down you become based on your reactions to situations. And so a lot of people I find they are restricting, restricting, and the, the, the shackles get tighter and tighter and tighter because they can't make those decisions and they don't have the support to to exactly right. figure it out, you know, you're totally right. And I think with restriction too, what we honestly also are having is like a lack of brain glucose at that point too. So it's like the, the things we're doing also limit our ability to make decisions. Cause we're not like, I literally, it's a vegan. I had like no nutrients left in my body. Like I was a poorly planned, you know, disordered vegan. So, you know, there's definitely vegans who've done much better than I did at the time, but, um, I just didn't have anything to work with. I was like, I, that's, and that's why I battle plan with my clients. I'm like, here's exactly what we're doing. And I always feel silly using that phrase now. Cause I'm like, there's people who've actually gone to battle. It's so egregious, but mm -hmm. I like, I just, I'm very systematic and targeted to relax people. It's funny, but it is relaxing for people and especially structured people who are out of their element and feel like I can't think, I don't know what to do. It's mm -hmm. even more frustrating when people have that type A personality and they don't have the solution readily mm -hmm. available to them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I dig all of that. And the same goes to workouts too. I'm sure, you know, in, in your field, you, you ask people what's sustainable for them or what they think they can do. And we being natural people pleasers, people will tell me, I'm oh. like, I always ask these questions. I'm like, how many days a week can you commit to working out? People go six or seven every time they will answer it with six like, or seven days a week. And I'm like, so if you weren't able to do that before me, then what's going to make you able to do that with me? <laughs> like, you're like, you're like, I know I'm fun to be around, but it's not going to change like this, your entire life. Like what is, what is actually going on in your life? How often can you actually do this? And I like to really, a game I kind of play with my clients with their knowledge, of course, is I'll undershoot it. And I'll do this with myself too. Like if I notice I'm not drinking as much water as I should be, I'm like, all right, can we do 20 ounces of water tomorrow? And then I'm like, yes, obviously we can do 20 ounces. Can we do 40 ounces of water tomorrow? And I'm like, yes, obviously. And then play that with yourself even, or with a, a coach who you trust, because then you'll land in that spot where something feels a little bit challenging, but it doesn't feel like, like it's so out of realm of thought for people to think they can actually work out seven days when they're not working, when they're working out zero, like it's not even mm -hmm. safe to do that by the way, to go from zero to seven, but, but to, uh, you know, really play with those numbers and be like, all right, in my head, if I actually am going to the gym one day a week, what does that actually look like based on my schedule? Pull up your calendar. Is that real? Like, are you working till 7 p.m. and then you have kids? It's probably not real. You know what I mean? Like, what is actually the thing that's going to feel okay? And like, I'm using the word a lot, but real. Like, is this real for your life? Is this mm -hmm. actually what you're going to do? Do the thing that's actually and doable. Do you want to get done doing it? Like, if you're, if you're like, I can't wait till this eight weeks is over so that I can not go to the gym if that's a thought that you're having in your head or it, I can't wait for this diet to get over so I can do X, Y, Z, or I can't wait for this, whatever it may be. If you can't wait for it to be done, then guess what? It is not right for you. Exactly. It should be a thing where, again, it feels like, ooh, that'd be interesting to do that. I bet I can do that. That should be the parameter for which people know that something's feeling well with them. And then we always blame these things on willpower, right? Where we're like, Oh, I said I was going to go to the gym seven days a week, but I didn't. And it has like nothing to do with willpower. It's that your body is biting back at you and telling you to cut it out. And you have to listen to your body when it says that and, you know, work with your coach on expressing when something feels hard to you. If it feels hard to you, it really is hard for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we hit some of the low hanging fruit things. Like obviously there's some lifestyle stuff, the brain part of it, the stress part of it, the sure. drinking water. Um, what are some other good first steps for somebody that might be struggling with a health journey or want to start to make a change? Yeah. I would tell people even before you go to a practitioner or one, even as amazing as Connie, I would say just make an inventory of your health and your life. So I would have people making a timeline of like, all right, when did I start vomiting five times a day? When did I start having panic attacks every day? What is the kind of timeline that happens? Because what I want people to understand is that what happened to you 20 years ago is part of your health now. Every single thing that happens to you in your entire life is important for right now. We have cellular memory that we, we carry with us. We carry in our hormonal patterns. We carry our trauma with in ourselves so annoyingly, but I know I wish I could snap my fingers for that one. Um, but what happened to you before means something now. It doesn't mean you can't do something about it, but we need to get the scope of 
where we've been to understand where we are. And I think it's really important to understand where we are. So I would get that inventory of like, what's going on inside of my body from a symptom perspective. And I literally have people like draw, I have a free community, by the way, if anyone wants to join where I literally have these tools, just draw your head, like a body, like a stick figure. And then from the top, say, what symptoms do I have in my head? Do I have anxiety? Do I have headaches? Do I have migraines? And then move your way down and understand what is going on in your body. And then you can start to say, here's where I am now. And then start to think of where you're going. You will immediately start to know what you need to do to get there. Mm -hmm. So again, even if it's something like a migraine, you don't have to know about butter burr or fever few to deal with migraines. Like you look at it and you're like, I literally haven't been drinking water and I've been out in the hot sun. And like, I have a lot of stress in the morning and then I end up getting a migraine every day. Inventory your life, inventory your health and then make projections of where you want to go and then find the practitioners, find the tools, find the whatever that will get you there. I promise you everyone knows their body more than anyone else does. Everyone knows what happened and why and where we're going better than anyone else does inside of their own body. So I want you to get to know and create more of a line of communication between your gut and your brain and let your body talk and tell you what it needs to tell you. So that would be my first tip for anyone starting a health journey. My next would be what I just said, which is that let thoughts come up. Let whatever your body's telling you come up. Signs and symptoms. We, we think of signs. Signs are something that a doctor can measure and symptoms are things that can't be measured. So a sign would be a rash. A sign would be a heart rate that's elevated. A symptom would be something like anxiety that you can't really quantify. Understand those signs and symptoms and then ask what they're trying to communicate with you from your body. I know it sounds woo, but literally ask verbally, what, what can I help you with? What, what do we need? Um, and again, even if I was looking back on my history and see this vegan diet for 10 years, my brain would go, mm, what about B vitamins? Like what's going mm -hmm. on with that? You know, these things that you do not need a huge scientific understanding. You can do these things at home before you even start with mm -hmm. a practitioner, very mm -hmm. long winded way to say inventory your health and life. I, I think that's awesome. And I do want to reverse on that a little bit. Um, just because I have a particular client that comes to mind with this, and I'm sure we all have those clients, right? But uh, just want to say that as if you're a parent and you're trying to take good care of your health and eating healthy and stuff, but your kids are still eating Cheetos and soda and all of the things, keep in mind you got to this place that you're at where you're trying to work on your health not just instantly. You didn't just arrive here. It didn't just happen. It started when you were the age of your own children now. And so okay. starting to do the things for your kids, especially nutritionally, mm -hmm. while they're young, prioritizing protein, all of these things are huge for when they get into their adult life. And one example I can use is I literally had a gentleman sitting in my office chair over here the other day. And he was like, super bad, like diabetes and bad. And he's like, but how did this all of a sudden just happen? Mm, That's exactly yeah. what he said. And I said, I said, it didn't just happen. It's been happening your whole life based on poor food choices. And he was like, poor food choices. I, I eat a very balanced diet. And I was like, okay, well, I said, it may have felt like you were at this balanced diet at this time, but I think with proper understanding, you'd see there were some things here that weren't quite right. And we started to talk about it. You know, breakfast was a banana and cereal and yo play yogurt, you know? Nope. The, the ultimate 1990s healthy breakfast. By <laughs> yeah. The way. Yeah. Um, and I said, this is almost 100 grams of carbs and 10 grams of protein. And so your body has been bombarded with these sugars for so long that it's no sure. longer properly handling them. And he switched from anger once I started telling him these things and, and explaining. And they're not me. innate things. And it's okay for him right. to have felt like it's funny, but like a conventional nutritionist might tell you today that that's a healthy breakfast. So it's not, yeah. it's not wrong of him to think that at all. And I know, you know, that, and I know he knows that now too, mm -hmm. but what we're also learning is that a lot of the things that we thought were totally chill, even the perfumes and stuff like that, like you're saying, are like not that chill. And we're kind of very, unfortunately, Connie, we are the Guinea pigs of like the most unhealthy like generation of people that's ever existed. And it's like, so not our fault in so many mm -hmm. ways. It's in our very food supply. It's in the very principles by which we live our lives. It's the very, it's under like, uh, you know, under capitalism. Like there's so many like systems that are greater than us as a, you know, not, and I'm not saying I'm against it or for it, but it's real. Um, mm -hmm. as we're, we're in a for-profit 
pharmaceutical and food game in mm-hmm. this country. And we are the exact recipients and we are the exact guinea pigs. And I can tell you that the system um, has failed us tremendously. And I can tell you that um, the food guidelines that accompanied the system where there were massive conflicts of interest failed us tremendously. And it is, I really have to take the accountability off the individual because mm-hmm. honestly, like if your client was eating that, most dietitians in the past 30 years would have told him, dietitians would have told him that was super healthy and perfect. Um, and now we're seeing the highest rates of chronic illness. We are the um, most expensive and sickest like country within our like range of wealth in the entire world. So what we've done is um, really not our fault on in the individual, but these systems have proven to be extremely, extremely toxic. Well, and that's the hardest part too. I think especially with our career paths is, um, people are like, well, how do you know this? You're not a doctor. <laughs> well, and... I would, and I, and I would say back, well, doctors never took one nutrition class. Most doctors never took one nutrition class. So why would they know anything about nutrition? They know less about nutrition than the layman person. Cause they've been spending eight years in school learning something else. Okay. They've been busy learning something else. Doctors are not required in America to have one nutrition credit. So if you are a nutrition coach who took a nutrition coaching program, it is very likely you have more education than doctors do on nutrition. It is a completely different field of study, completely different chemicals. And frankly, functional nutrition is a completely different way of looking at the body. So, um, it, it's not even in the same realm of thought because it's not viewing the body the same way. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, and that's where people are like, oh, well, my labs are normal. I'm like such an, a lab nerd. I'm the biggest lab nerd, but so fun. Uh, oh man. I like, sometimes I just want to get my hands on people's stuff just because I'm like so curious about the different Same. stuff. Like I, I could literally look at thousands of labs and probably never get bored at this point, but, um, uh, it. It, it's, uh, that like, it, it's crazy. People are like, well, the doctor said my labs are normal. And I'm like, well, listen, we are the sickest dang nation ever. I don't want to be normal in this. I don't, and you know, and you actually, I'm sure you know this too, but a really easy way of explaining it to people is that the labs that they use in conventional medicine, doctor's office, allopathic doctors, we use the average of all people. Mm-hmm. So if you are in the dead middle average of all people, you are in the dead middle of a place where almost 60% of people are very chronically ill, have more than one diagnosed chronic illness. We in functional medicine and functional nutrition use very different ranges because we we use optimal ranges. This is the actual range of health, not only the range of you're a lot, you're not dead, but the range of health. Um, so I the ranges we use are much more narrow because we are function we're focusing on the functional optimizing ranges, optimal ranges versus ev- the average of everyone. Yes, if you are the average American, you are super sick and uh, not a goal um, to be there no. for sure. Absolutely. Which is unfair. I feel like we could really literally go quite (laughs) forever on this, honestly. But um, I mean, so many good pearls here. If there was anything you wanted to leave everybody with, what would that be? I think that the two things I want people to just reiterate is get to know your body, listen to your body. You are the expert and the answers are there for you if you ask yourself the right questions. And then I would just say like, really, if you feel like you're ready and the time is right to team up with a practitioner who's really going to sit with you and really hold that space for you the whole way through your journey, it's, it's an, it's a privilege to be able to have that opportunity. But if you do choose a practitioner like Connie or someone who's really going to sit with you, because I think that's going to be the difference. It's not like, oh, this person specializes in parasites. And I think I have a parasite. Go to the person who's that whole practitioner, a real freaking person who will sit in the weeds with you. Uh, And on that same note, I think people, and I want to say this, I think it's really important. Don't be afraid to work with your practitioner. Like so Mm. many people think they've been given the roadmap and they just need to take it and run. You need to be a part of that. And your practitioner needs to be a part of that. So oftentimes you'll give someone a program and they will just be like, okay, that's it. And they take it and run with it and they don't ask questions and they're not expanding on it. And I'm sure, you know, it's not magic. If I give somebody something, I don't expect them. I'm sure there's gotta be questions that come up. If none come up, there's a problem. Right. So be a part of your care as well. Ask questions, be involved, be willing to learn because I mean, I mean, I tell people they can stay with me as long as they want, but at one point I like to turn them free into the world and have them have confidence. And I can't do that if they're not a part of their own care as well. 
You're absolutely right. Being your own advocate is so essential. And and the tools that I laid out before are, are literally how to become the expert of your own body and how to be the boss of your own body. I would also just say this, and this is what I always want to leave a podcast with, which is that there is no place in your health that you can't go 10% further. So if you're feeling hopeless in any way, there's always someone who can help you. There's always something you can do and just never give up on feeling. Okay. Never, ever give up on it. There's always something you can do. And thank you so much for having me, Connie. What a delight it was. Yeah. How do people find you and go look at your stuff? You have a great podcast. You got a lot going on. So I have a podcast, quiet the diet, where we talk about kind of that bridge between functional nutrition and that kind of mental health relationship with food piece, which I feel like like we've talked about, um, I think a functional medicine these days is being like, here's a protocol. Like I want to debunk that and talk about what is like real functional nutrition, what is real health and how do we also incorporate a really body positive and healthy perspective of our health and body at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then I have a private practice where me and my staff dietitian, Nikki Porlitzis are seeing, um, clients and I'll give you a link for that too. If they want to schedule a discovery call. Yeah. I'll put all of that in the show notes so people can access it if they're interested in finding out more about you. And I'm so thankful you joined me today. Thank you so much, Connie. It was really fun. And I honestly went like further than I have on most other podcasts because you got me fired up my claw gen. (laughs) I love that. I love getting people fired up. That's great. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about me, my online programs, or to inquire about coaching, please visit www.conninightingale.com. And remember, nothing in the contents of this show is intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any illness, and it is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your primary care physician before implementing any new health protocols.